In episode 469 with Alyssa Nobrega, we talk about soulful step parenting, parenting, inner healing work, and so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode because I have one of my dear friends, Alyssa, on the show. And there are so many things that I love about her, but one of the many is that she truly walks her talk. And for those of you that have never heard of Alyssa, she is an international speaker, coach, and entrepreneur. She is the founder and CEO of the Institute of Coaching Mastery, which certifies hundreds of coaches a year in her methodology. She's been featured in the New York Times, Forbes, Entrepreneur, Inc., Psychology Today, and Fox, and highlighted as an expert coach by Deepak Chopra. She is a licensed clinical somatic psychotherapist with a master's degree from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and holds a second master's degree in spiritual psychology from the University of Santa Monica, where she also worked on faculty. For everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 469. And for a special bonus on her coaching program, make sure you head to the show notes. Now let's bring on the incredible Alyssa Nobrega. Beautiful Alyssa, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you here, beauty. I'm so happy to be here, honey. (laughs) So exciting. (laughs) Tell me, darling, before we start, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, I have what I have every morning, which is a raw granola smoothie with blueberries and collagen and protein and all the like ashwagandha mama chocolate waka goodies inside of it. (laughs) (laughs) My typical. Delicious, delicious, delicious. Oh my goodness. Well, I am so excited to have this conversation with you because soulful step parenting or step parenting is something that I get asked a lot about being a step mama or a bonus mama, as I like to call it. And you are also in that camp. And so I was like, who can I bring on to talk about this? Who has a very open and conscious and spiritual perspective of it. So you are my gal. Before we start, tell us who's in your family. Tell us about your family dynamic, the ages of the kids, when you came into their life, and a little bit of background. First off, I just want to share that you were the first and only one I saw online that was also a stepmom. And so I felt it before we were even friends, I felt a connection with you because we had shared that. And I didn't see a lot of examples of other entrepreneurial women in the online space. So I instantly felt a connection with you and was really grateful you were being so open about sharing your experience. So I hope that this conversation serves others that want to have a deeper conversation into it. I have been with my beautiful husband for 13 years and 
our youngest is 13, or I guess she'll be 13 and a half. So we've been together since she was six months. And so I have a girl, boy, girl. So Mila, our oldest is 16. Our middle son is 14. And then Sienna is 13. So I came in when they were young and I knew we were very conscious about not introducing me right away. And so it was very easy. I think it's different age stages, different family dynamics. I dated my husband for about three years before we decided that we were going to get married. And I knew when I was getting into a marriage conversation, I was getting married to the kids and his ex-wife because of co-parenting. So I was really aware of that. And actually in our wedding ceremony, we had the kids participate and verbally say yes and be part of that celebration to ask for their commitment to be as a family unit together. But I went from being the youngest of three and not really having a lot of kids around me to going from like zero to three. And they were about (laughs) almost four and under. And so it was like a, it was a big initiation for me in a lot of ways. And I'm so, so grateful But I'm also one of those people, and I think step parenting is going to be different for every parent and every family and every situation. But I'm in one of the camps where having these beautiful children in my life made me really clear that this is exactly what I wanted. So I didn't have the mom gene for me specifically to say, I need to have babies, I need to birth babies, but I wanted to be a part of a family. And I didn't realize that until I got these three bonus kids. I'm their bonus mom. I love that. But I didn't know that I wanted that until I had it. So it kind of surprised me. And my husband and I spoke about it like, okay, no, this is actually really perfect. And he was open to exploring it. I was open to it. But having three, and they live 10 houses away now. So it's so like really nice. They can walk over. They're also in their teenage years, which is another story of it. But it's been a really beautiful experience and easy with the kids, not always with their mom, but it's been a healing journey I'm happy to share about as well. Oh, yes. I'd love to dive into that. But I just wanted to say that I've seen your wedding photos and I wish I knew you then because I would have loved to have been there to witness that beautiful ceremony. But maybe you'll have to do like a 15-year renewal of your vows so that we can come and you can come to mine and Nick's 10-year renewal. So I love that in the ceremony, you got the kids involved and you asked them to be involved. I think that's really beautiful. We did the same with Leo, although we didn't have him like say anything, but he was very much there. And we did a special ceremony, the three of us, the morning of. We didn't sleep in separate places the night before. Like I wanted to be with Nick and he wanted to be with me and we wanted to be with Leo. And so we all slept together and then I had a beautiful morning where we got up and we watched the sunrise and I gave Leo a book. We call it his love book. And Nick and I had written love letters to Leo in this book for ages before we gave it to him. And it had photos of us and just beautiful memories. And so we gave him this love book on that morning and shared with him how much we love him and how much he's a part of all of this. And so that was a really special thing to do. And you can kind of create your own little ritual or whatever you want when it comes to the special day. But I love that you knew that you were marrying the kids and the ex-wife because I was 28 and I didn't really think of that. Like I didn't really think of it. And you know that Nick and I got engaged after two weeks and then married (laughs) five and a half months later. (laughs) No, exactly. So I didn't have a lot of time to think about it. So we got married, yeah, five and a half months later. And so I didn't really have the awareness or the consciousness that I was marrying his ex as well, because you are, 
Yeah, you, you are. are. And I often say like step parenting is not for the faint hearted. It's for the big hearted. And I've had Glennon Doyle. She's incredible. I've had her on the podcast. And obviously her partner, Abby, is a stepmom to her kids. And so Glennon on the show, and that episode was amazing. Go and listen to it. But she was saying how she just has so much reverence and gratitude for step parents. She's like, you guys are my heroes. You are my heroes. You do the parenting role, yet you kind of get no accolades. Well, it depends on what situation you're in, but it's not for the faint-hearted. It's for the big-hearted. This is not something that I thought would be in my path. Like I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be in a different type of dynamic. My parents are still together, so I don't know anything else. But it has been one of the biggest spiritual assignments for me. Truly one of the biggest spiritual assignments. Like Nick and I are going on nine years. And so it's been a nine-year journey. And I came into his life when he was seven years old. And so it was really big for me, like huge. And there's so much growth. And I get asked a lot. A lot of people come up to me and they say, how do you do it? And I get lots of DMs. How do you do it? And I think it's really important that we talk about it because when I first got into the relationship with Nick nine years ago, I was floundering. I was searching for step parenting books, podcasts, anything. I was really searching. And there was one book called Step Monster. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and it's so portrayed that way, right? In Disney, in media. I think we need to catch up to the different dynamics of parenting that are more modern day and to change. I know I was the same way. I was like, we have terrible examples of the wicked stepmother. And yeah, we need to catch up to a more conscious narrative because I think it's such an honor to be a step parent. And again, every situation is different. But we get to really define what that is for us individually as a family unit. And I had a lot of open conversations with how they wanted me to show up in their world. And I was also really mindful not to overstep their mom's role. I was mindful of that because in the beginning, I think she was a bit triggered by me and I gave her space to be. But I also wanted to be a bonus mom and not have any misunderstanding that I would be replacing her. I was sensitive to that. But I do think we need to catch up with media because there needs to be more examples of the beauty of this role and the gift of it both ways. Mm. And have you always felt like it was a gift? Yes. Oh, it's been easy with the kids. Again, not been easy with the ex-wife. And that had been a really long journey and taught me about my power and letting go of how people see me. And, and I'm grateful for it because of having a spiritual perspective on all relationships, using everything for my own growth and healing. And just to share a little backstory. So I wanted for her and I to be cordial and to be friends or at least friendly so that it was easy to collaborate schedules. She's very fluid. So is my husband and I like a little bit more structure and planning. But besides that, it's just not really an openness for many years to share schedules or to really collaborate. And I felt like in that, because of having a spiritual perspective and using everything, I felt like wanting her to be different, wanting her to be more open, I was plugging my socket into her power source and I was losing and draining my energy. And it took me honestly three or four years of genuinely working on myself to let go of how she saw me for me to unplug from her socket, her third chakra, and plug back into mine. And I got my power back. And I am so grateful for that lesson and that teaching. And I got free, independent of her opening to me. And it took 
maybe two or three years later for her to open. And by that time I didn't need it. I was free either way, but my heart was open and that's where I got myself. And so I use that relationship as a way to let go of how people see me, to go deeper into it and give her full permission to have her human experience. And that was such a gift. And now the relationship is that my husband just launched a book. She came over, stayed at the house. We were all in the house with the kids. It's like, I still sometimes will get triggered, but I know that it has nothing to do with her. And it's a reflection of a part of me that's looking to be healed, just like kids. So anytime our kids are going through something hard, oftentimes we have an opportunity to heal a part of us at that age that was going through a hard time. So doing the inside out work has been a game changer. I don't think without the spiritual perspective and the tools for personal development, I would do very well in this human experience. And with it, it's like, oh, it has nothing to do with them, but what are they mirroring to in me? Because I would say that his ex-wife is very different than me. And the kids are different in a lot of ways too. So it's like, what part of that age stage in the kids is looking for me to be healed? I wanted more authority in my teenage years. Our oldest just went to Switzerland for the year. And she had a lot of autonomy and ability to choose. Do I want to stay there to graduate high school? Do I want to come back? And I could feel a part of me being like, I wish I would have had that when I was a kid and I didn't. My parents were more authoritarian, which was like, you're doing this. When you're 18, you have rules. And so I got to really start to heal a part of me when I was 16 through her situation and really collaborate with their mom and my husband around giving her choice and not repeating the same patterns that I was inherited by my family and parents and their further generations as well. So using all of it for our own healing, for our growth, to embody our wholeness, to accept the parts of us that have been disenfranchised and projected out to family members, kids, and otherwise has been a game changer. And it's so much more direct and easy to do that. Mm, Absolutely. If we don't look at all of our relationships and all of our triggers, lessons and spiritual assignments for ourselves, (laughs) you are literally going to cause inner turmoil for yourself. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's almost like we have these things living inside of us and people knock on the door and that part of us, that wound answers the door. And so rather than just having people continue to knock and bring out those same wounds and patterns projected into different relationships, it's like, oh, how do I resolve that within me first? And then I get to experience more intimacy and connection with those around me that I love and have less suffering as a result. Mm, Absolutely. So Where do we begin? Okay, so you meet a partner who has children, and this is so common these days, right? Because over 50% of relationships are ending in divorce. And I'm curious what the number is, because when I used to be a couples therapist, I think a lot of it was before the kids were five years old. I think a lot of the divorces happen when they're really young because there's a huge initiation. It's a different age stage, five and under. And I don't know what the current stats are, but I would imagine it's still somewhat the same. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that it happens at that time because when you have children, it's a big initiation in itself and it does stretch the relationship. It's an opportunity for growth within the partnership. And so I can see how it can happen in those earlier years. So, so many people are getting divorced and then they're meeting people that have maybe one, two or three kids. What are some of the things that we need to ask ourselves before we even enter this relationship? I like that you said you were very aware that you were entering a relationship with the kids and the ex-partner. You were very aware of that from the get-go. 
And I think that's very important that we realize that because we can't turn a blind eye. Like when you are embarking on entering a relationship where there are children involved already, get ready, buckle up because your spiritual growth is about to skyrocket. (laughs) If you choose to see it that way, or you can just bury your head in the sand and bang your head against the brick wall and cause yourself a lot of turmoil. So what are some of the things that we can kind of ask ourselves at the start before we even say commit or enter a partnership where there are children involved? I first off just want to share, there's so many blessings of being a step-parent and co-parenting, right? So I remember, and so I think it's also important to see like the gift of that because you can have, when I was in the beginning with the kids, it was like our relationship was very different when the kids were with us versus when they weren't. And so oftentimes with having a family that's one unit, you almost can get lost in the, where did your relationship go? Because it's such a different dynamic with kids. So when they would go away, we would re-remember who we are as a unit without the kids. And I think one of the things in reflection my dad shared with me about my parents' relationship ending in divorce was that they put the kids first. And I think that's what they were modeled. And I think it has a great intention, but his learning or his reflection was to really keep nurturing the marriage and to bring the kids into that unit. A thousand percent. Obviously different age stages, you know, it's going to change when they're younger. There's a lot of attention. There's a huge initiation, but I do think continuing to discover and reconnect as a couple serves the whole family unit. When the parents are good, the kids feel that. And so continuing to find time to cultivate your connection and your love and your romantic life, I think is really important. But I really look at the kids as teachers. Even having a spiritual conversation, there were moments where our youngest, Sienna, we would look at her deep in her eyes and just soul gaze. We would lose ourselves. And she was available for that. And I feel like I came into this world really clear and I wonder if it was because my grandfather really saw me, like saw me beyond my body, just like deeply saw my soul and it felt like it kept something awake in me. And I don't know that it needs to be a parent, but at least one person truly seeing children, I think can really keep that awake within them that is nourishing for the rest of our life and really is the heart of a spiritual path, knowing who we are on a deep level. And it was easy with the kids, especially our youngest, maybe because she, I don't know why, but we just had that connection with her. So I think looking at the kids as teachers, using it as a deepening in your spiritual path, also not totally abandoning our lives for the kids, but to cultivate a strong and keep a strong relationship, including the kids into it. I'm not a parenting expert, but these are just some of the nuggets and things that I've learned along the way in reflection and being really compassionate with ourselves. So it's like, if something again gets triggered for me with the kids, if my 13 year old got triggered, it's like, what part of my 13 year old do I need to tend to? So I don't have to play it out or project my stuff onto her. And one of the gifts I think as a step parent, which we don't really speak about is I don't necessarily have an identity with how the kids show up. So I have being this bonus mom, I can show up in a way that is without a lot of the demands of how I think that they should be, or my ego getting caught in the way, thinking that they're going to be a reflection of me. So I get to show up in a way that feels more authentic and natural without how will the neighbors think, or people are going to think this about me if my kid does that. I don't have so much of that. And I think that's somewhat of a gift as a step-parent, that we don't have to carry some of that egoic trying to make them how we want them to be, unconsciously thinking it's a reflection of us. 
Mm, mm, That's so beautiful. I love how you see so many beautiful gifts because it is a gift. And we manifested it. We manifested this. And the kids, this is part of their soul contract in this lifetime. And it's part of my soul contract to be a bonus mom in this lifetime. And I remember when we used to have Leo one week on, one week off, it was a beautiful time to like really fill up that family love cup that week and do all of the fun things. And then we would go to the next week where it was just all about lovers time and reconnecting with each other and going on dates and doing all of that special stuff. And so, yeah, there really are so many gifts and it's really about choosing to see it that way. But I'm curious, did you always know that you never wanted to have children of your own? I always imagined that there would be one day I was like, this is it. This is the time. I think because we're socialized to think that we're going to grow up, have kids. I just imagined one day I would feel it. And I was just waiting for that moment. And when I got together with my husband, I was like, oh, he's got three kids. He's open to having the conversation, but his preference is to be complete. I think also coming in just transparently from zero to three young was an initiation. I was like, the desire needs to really be there because I have a behind the scenes of what it takes in the early days. So it was like, I don't know if the desire is that strong for me to also, it just never came for me. And I was really at peace with that. I want to be a part of a family that I get to pour my love into and to support and grow with them. But I also feel like I pour a lot of my mothering into my work, into my clients, into my students. And so I get to express that archetype. I remember I used to, so my mother is Irish and she used to sing me Irish lullabies. And I was like, when my kids are young, I'm going to do these things. And at one point I was like, oh, this is it. This is the time. And so I started singing my Mexican stepchildren, Irish lullabies and like giving them my clothes and my dolls and really incorporating some of my practices and my traditions into our family system. And That took me a little bit to kind of claim my role as a stepmom. And I think unconsciously I was waiting for permission from their mom to say it was okay to claim that role. Whereas I wish I felt, and this is for anybody listening, I wish I had felt a little bit more permission. Yeah, they want that. And there's a space for you here and you can claim it sooner and embody that. And later, as my relationship was healed with their mom, she really did create that space for me, but I wasn't as aware of it. So I didn't want to overstep any boundaries. But the more people that love these children, the better, the more examples, of course. And so for anybody listening, I hope that that supports them in like really taking their space at the table, that you are a part of this. That was a wound for me. And I think also that just kind of mirrors some of my own personal work that I needed to do around taking up space because my family's dynamic was don't take up too much space, don't be an inconvenience. And so I play that out with this family dynamic where they're all very outgoing and welcoming. And I got to clearly see that that was mine and nothing to do with them. Mm, Beautiful. And I love what you said there about ultimately all children want is love. And the more people that love those children, the better. They are going to grow and thrive and flourish. It's like a plant. The more love and water and sunlight and attention that you give it, it's going to grow strong and really thrive. And for me, there was a big shift when I realized that, oh, I'm not here to replace his mom. I'm not here to even mother him in that way. I'm here to love him the way that I love him, to love him the way that Melissa knows how to love him. And so a lot of people say, you know, do I mother? Where's the line? 
where's the line of not mothering, sorry, do I parent, discipline? What is the line there? Do Or do I step back and let the father or the other partner, I'm just saying father because this is my situation and I'm speaking from my situation, but do we let the father or the other parent do all of the disciplining and the parenting? And do I just sit back and be the fun bonus mom or the fun aunt, that type of role? So where's the line and how did you kind of navigate your way through finding the sweet spot of like boundaries and disciplining and inspiring and not just kind of stepping back? Yeah, I think this is every step parent is going to have this question. And I remember asking my mom because again, I didn't have a lot of prep time. So I went from zero to three and I was like, I didn't do, I didn't read parenting books. I just kind of got into a situation. And my mom said, just love them. Just love them. That's all they need. That's all they want. And that settled something in me. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And then it got to a place where I had a conscious conversation with my husband around what do we want my role to be with them? And do I want to be disciplinary? And yes, so we came up with our own agreements because his ex-wife and him had really clear ways of parenting. They had like a few years beforehand exploring how they want to do things, which is different than how I would have done things. And so I've really honored what they want while still having authority and being part of the family and having an opinion and conversation while they're in the home. But I've also included the kids in the conversation as they've gotten older. How do you want me to show up to love you? What does that look like? And it's also been organic and feeling into it. But I decided not to be the main disciplinary in our household that my husband would. And that, of course, I'm going to be looking over them and there are going to be times where I do step into that role when he's gone or... But that's what we decided. That's what felt good. And I love open, honest communication. And so we've had family conversations, especially in the beginning when it was harder with their mom and I, where it was like, what is that like for you? What would be your ideal? And I've broken down in family meetings, not often, but just crying to share, this is really vulnerable for me. And shared with them my experience and also checked in, like, what was their desire? How do I show up for them? And tuning into what I wanted. So I think it's just like every relationship, an open dialogue to see what's the right ingredient for your family. But again, for me, it was around taking my place and really embodying my how I wanted to be a presence in this family and how I wanted to participate. And I really am grateful for where we're at, but it's definitely been a journey. It's been a big spiritual practice. I think it's so beautiful and so important that you include the children in these conversations. And we've done that definitely. Like we've sat down and had family meetings and said, okay, well, how can we make this flow a little bit more effortlessly? Or how can we work together? How can all of our needs be met here? How can we all feel really good about this? And I think in these sorts of situations and even in families where there's not step-parents, just you and your kids right now, having family meetings is a really great thing to do. And I think that you've inspired me. It's something that we could do more of and not let things just slide and instead have a conversation about it because it's really important. And Nick and I definitely sat down many times at the start and said, well, what is my role? Can I tell him to pick his towel up off the floor? Can I tell him to, you know, like, do I do (laughs) those things? Do I tell him to make his bed and things like that? So it's a really beautiful opportunity to sit and have a family meeting. And 
I love that as well, but it's not innate within me because I didn't grow up having that experience. I grew up where my dad used to say children are seen but not heard. And so we didn't really have a say. And I remember feeling like my parents are so beautiful. They're the most beautiful, loving, kind, generous people. And I remember like really not having a say at all in the family dynamic at all of how things were run. And so I can see how I have kind of defaulted to that many times in this situation where I have not given him a say and it doesn't feel good and I'm not proud of it and I'm aware of it and I can see that it was me defaulting to this way that I was brought up and it's not okay and it's not how I want to parent. And I think whether you're a bonus mom or a mom, the more aware we are of how we want to show up, the better. Because if you aren't aware of it, you will just default into how you were parented. And maybe that's awesome, but most of the time, probably not. (laughs) Opportunities for upgrades. Yeah. And I think being compassionate with ourselves and modeling our humanity and knowing that we're going to make mistakes and to apologize or to have open dialogue to also shares, oh, I don't have to be perfect and I can have conversations with my kids and learn how, because compassionate with ourselves helps us be more proactive, helps us be more effective. If we're judging ourselves for it, we're going to get stuck in it. And so kind of modeling that for the kids, of course, you know, I can see myself, I could have easily defaulted to some of the shadow of the parenting that I was witness to. And I think there's a gift in being like, oh, you know what? That's not how I wanted to say that can I start over or I'm sorry? And really just energetically and being flexible and humble. And also, you know, in my situation, there's a cultural difference coming from Mexico. Both my husband and his ex-wife were raised there. And there's a lot of tradition that's different than my, my upbringing as well as economic cultural difference. So, and so there's always with our partners, but then with somebody else, another co-parent, there's many different layers that we get to look at ourselves and kind of create what feels good for us here and kinks to kind of work through and be flexible and adaptable and consciously choose in how we want to create this experience together. And it's nice if we have their buy-in, you know, as a unit, but it's not needed. And there's also gifts in us finding our freedom independently from them. Mm, Absolutely. So I opened it up to my audience about soulful step parenting. I got lots of questions. We probably won't get through all of them. (laughs) But there was quite a few common ones, babe. And I really would love your perspective on this. So while this kind of doesn't apply to our situation, me and you, but I know that you will have a lot of insight into this. What do we do when our partner, ex-partner, sorry, gets another partner and then have to surrender someone else raising our children. So this isn't our situation, but I would love your perspective on this because as a mama, like, (laughs) I don't know how they do it. To hand over Bambi to another house, I just, I don't know. I would probably just go and sleep at the door. I wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like I would, (laughs) there's no way, there's no way. So tell me, what is your perspective? Like, how do we make peace with that. One of my clients right now is going through a separation. She has two kids and she really struggles with this as well. Like her children going to another home where there's another partner. How do we do it? I can't pretend to be in that situation, right? So I've not birthed my own babies to know 
every situation I think is going to be, every mom is going to hold it differently. I prefer to have open, honest communication where we're kind of creating a care unit to speak about, like, how do we co-parent together? And whether that be with just my partner or the ex as well, that would be my ideal. If there's an openness to talk about what are our values? How do we really show up as a community to raise these beings? And if they don't, I'm still going to choose to show up in a way that if I were the mom and there's no communication and there's no connection, I would really be looking at my own fears. I would write down one of the fears I have in this situation is, and then fill in them. And I would just list all my fears and I would do my work to let go of the fears that are driving me and have open, honest conversation around what my preference is and just focus on what I can control, which is my household. If I didn't have any collaboration with my ex and his household or their household. Yes. So this is another question. I know in your situation, you did all of the internal work, but do we need to be friends with the ex-partner? Do we need to have family dinners? Do we need to go on family holidays? Oh, like all together? All together. Like have family dinners. <laughs> How can we, Yeah. besides doing the internal work, what are your thoughts? Do you feel like, and I know a lot of people who have, even though they didn't want to, they would have family dinners and pretend that everything was all okay for the children. I was not willing to pretend. Yeah, exactly. So that was a boundary for me. I was not willing to pretend. And there was a moment where I let his ex know that if we are going to be at holiday things or birthday or graduations or wedding, because there is an element of us having joined community, like family together. So there's that element, even if that wasn't a conscious her and I independently, luckily it was my preference. But as I had shared, it wasn't for many years her preference. And so I got to do my work around it. For me, I just wanted to feel like there was an openness, there was a friendliness, but I didn't necessarily feel like my in-laws, I call her my mother-in-love, my mother-in-law and her ex's wife, they're very close. She goes to travel with them. It was a beautiful relationship, but you may or may not like the ex or the next partner. And that's fine. For me, I wanted to have some level of ease to be in family situations. I tend to like that. My nervous system, you know, I think it's good for the kids. But I wasn't going to force myself and I wasn't going to be fake in a situation like that. I chose just not to be in the situations until we could have an honest, heartfelt adult conversation about respect. And once we got there, that's when things changed. But the pretending kids can feel oh. and it doesn't feel good to us either. So I'm not a fan of that. And you may not like the ex and that's okay. And you don't need to try and you can have boundaries and you can be loving or kind without needing to be their best friend. I think just full permission. I'm not opposed to going on a family trip, but I also know it would be a short trip if we were to do that. It wouldn't be my whole holiday vacation. Mm. I think it's really important that we do not pretend because like you said, the kids can feel it. They can smell it. They can taste it. <laughs> and what do you do though if the ex is not willing and open? I know there's so much internal work that we can do ourselves. And do we just keep showing up? and being kind and respectful and not expecting anything from that other person. That was my spiritual path for many years. It was like, I'm choosing to keep my heart open because it feels good to me. That didn't mean that I didn't have boundaries. That didn't mean I was going to lunch. It just meant that my heart was open because that's what felt true and good for me. And when I finally got free and I took my plug out of her socket and put it back in myself, 
It was authentic. It was natural. And I didn't have as much internal drama about it. Again, it took me three or four years to genuinely get there, to give her full permission not to like me. And knowing that she really hadn't known me either. And that is a life lesson that I'm so grateful she gifted me with because I got to a place where I'm like, oh, I can have my heart open even if yours isn't. Or I can have my heart open to my closed heart. I can learn to mother myself and show up for myself in the ways that I was thinking I needed you to. And when I give her or everybody else in the world permission to be exactly as they are, I'm free. And that was a huge spiritual lesson for me. Babe, I've got full goosebumps. It's just so powerful. I am choosing to have my heart open right now, even though yours is closed. And this doesn't just go for ex-partners. This goes for the kids. This goes for every person in your life. I can feel that your heart is closed, but I am choosing to open my heart right now to you. And when bits of my heart are closed, I'm choosing to open them to those parts that are closed within me. I think that's so beautiful. And I'm really going to be aware of this. I'm going to be open to this because again, there's times and there's moments for me where I can feel someone's heart is closed and I just want to shut down, close off and run in the other direction. I just want to run and hide under the covers. But Nick and I always say, and I talk about this in Open Wide, nothing good comes from closing. Nothing good ever comes from closing your heart, shutting down, running in the other direction. Nothing good comes from closing and especially closing to yourself. Because when you can walk around every day with an open heart to yourself, you will have an open heart to other people. And it's such a beautiful practice. And you are such an example of that. Like you said before, you've been able to pour your mothering into your work and into your relationships. And you truly do that. You have the biggest, most open, beautiful heart and you feel it. Every interaction that we have in person or via text or voice message, your heart is just beaming, babe. And you inspire me so much with your big open heart and your love and your generosity. And you can feel it. Like we were saying before, kids can feel it. They can feel that energy. You can also feel when someone has an open heart. So I want to give everyone a little bit of homework for the rest of the day to walk around and have an open heart. And if you feel your heart close off, open it back up. And then also as you're walking around and you're interacting with people, tune in and feel, does that person have an open heart? Play a little game with yourself and just feel and then send them some love and compassion if their heart is closed. I really, really love this and it's inspired me so much and I'm going to do it. And also maybe even to notice that the spiritual heart never closes. Notice in this moment that there's something that already is open, that already accepts this moment, even if the egoic heart closes and that it's okay if the heart closes and there's space for that and there's no judgment for that. Mm, That's really beautiful. That's so true. The spiritual heart never closes. It's the egoic heart. It's so true. And it's so innocent. It's just a protective mechanism. It's like, oh, that's the part that's scared. Okay, sweetheart, I feel you. And just breathing into it. Okay. Mm, I love that. So beautiful. Okay. Another question that I got many, many times is, what do we do if we're not on the same page? (laughs) And I was like, well, (laughs) I think most people are not on the same page and trying to get on the same page. 
I want your perspective. Go for it, babe. I don't think for most things we will be on the same page. And again, I, it just keeps coming back to, for me, taking my power back. Like, what's my truth? What feels good? Any relationship is a partnership. You're in collaboration with other people. But if I think I need them to be on the same page as me to, so that I'm happy, that's where I have a problem. So actually, I don't think we really need people to be on the same page. I think we just need to get our power back. And then we can give people permission to be however they are and still make choices for ourselves, our family, or even if it's part-time when they're at our place or whatnot. But when I'm not in the illusion that I need them to be on the same page so that then I'm okay, it changes the dynamic. It's more about the practical parts of things versus just using everything as a path towards getting free. That's the only way to do it because we can't control other people. We will never do that. And if we can learn that here now, it's going to serve our kids. It's going to serve our relationships, short-term and long-term. So I'm just a fan of like, okay, let's work it. Yeah. And trying to be on the same page as an ex-partner, it's again, like banging your head against a brick wall. Like I'm not always on the same page as the love of my life. Nick and I aren't always on the same page, but we have respect and we practice crystal clear communication. And it's about setting healthy boundaries as well. And I know something that's really helped me along this journey is trusting and deeply knowing that Leo chose this path. There was so many things that I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have parented that way, or I would definitely not have given him that to eat or Mm -hmm. things like that, or I would have chosen this school for him, or I would have done this. So now having Bambi, I get to do those things that are really inspiring for me. Like I get to parent the way that feels really true and right for me. And I get to do that, which is really beautiful. And I trust that he chose to have this experience of two different worlds. And this is part of his evolution and part of his journey. And at the start, I was like, no, but he should be eating this and doing this. And that was just causing me so much inner turmoil. It was so much (laughs) inner turmoil. So just trusting that the children have chosen this experience. They have chosen it. And, you know, he's going to grow up and he's had two completely different experiences. And I think, wow, He's got to see two different ways of living, two different ways of parenting. And there is a lot of crossover as well and two different ways of doing different things. And how awesome. I only grew up with one way, seeing one way. I didn't know that there was any other way. I just saw this one way. And so, you know, I feel like that's a really great thing for him to be exposed to is different ways of being and living and working and health and exercise and travel and all sorts of different things. And there's crossover, but yeah, there's lots of different ways too. That's beautiful, Mel. It's like the deeper trust and that soul alignment and everything that's unfolding in his path that he's chosen. It's beautiful. Yeah. I know he chose me and I chose him and there's so much growth. And whenever I'm triggered, it's my stuff. It's an opportunity for me to go inward and to really dig deep and to heal a part of me that I have maybe been sweeping under the carpet. It's always about us. It's always about us. And when people message me on Instagram or stop me in the street and say, I've just met this guy and he's got kids and I'm really, really into him. 
but I'm scared about the step parenting or the bonus parenting side of things. And I'm like, it's amazing and it's internal work. So if you are ready to get on the internal work bandwagon and really (laughs) heal yourself and go deep within yourself, then jump on. But if you don't want to do that work, it can be really challenging. And just like life, right? Business can be a spiritual path, parenting or step parenting, all of it. And I think you and I are sort of a part of the mindset of using everything for our evolution of it, for our healing and our growth. And to me, I'm like, why not be proactive to just clear it at the root while you're younger so you live your life freer and lighter for the rest of your life? I'm a big fan of prioritizing it and getting in there to just really unravel those misunderstandings and come back home to yourself so that you can enjoy your life longer, more free. Mm, Absolutely. What do you do though, if the other person is not even willing to collaborate on schedules and lifestyle choices and things like that? Been there, still there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I used to be a psychotherapist and because I really very much live these personal development and spiritual principles, I look at oftentimes what is the wound playing out from whoever the other person is. So say his ex-wife or whoever. What is the wound? What are they trying to protect? Because if I'm working it at the, why aren't you giving me schedules? We need, you know, some people are going to be schedule more loosely. Other people want to be more planned. If you hit it at the surface level, you're never actually going to go anywhere. There's just defense. But if I'm looking at what is this triggering? What is the wound here? Then I can hold it with a bit more tenderness, know that it's not about the thing we think it's about and actually offer, oh, this is because there's abandonment Maybe they fear that if they don't schedule for a year and a half out, then they're not going to be with their kids. And if I can hear and understand what that's really about, then I can speak to the wound without coddling or trying to, you know, over be over responsible for it. But I can also say, here's an approach that would feel good for me. And so it opens a lighter conversation, but I lead with my vulnerability once I got to a place in this relationship where it's a bit more open. And I'm not just kind of talking at the surface level defense and I can lead with my vulnerability around what's important for me to be in relationship with the kids to nurture and really highlight and honor, if I'm just making it up for my situation as an example, to really highlight their mom and the beauty and the mother that she is and also to create time with my husband and having us prioritize times that work for my schedule as well. And is there an openness to have that conversation? So it feels like the how more than the what, not working it at the surface level defense, but really looking at what do I imagine if there's a wound playing out, what's the thing that's really important for them and how do we collaborate to honor what they feel is important and what I feel is important and speak to that deeper intention so that I can kind of cut through some of the noise. Mm, So powerful. And I think if the other person is reacting in a way that may look extreme or big, we have to also almost put ourselves in that person's shoes. For me, putting myself in Leo's mom's shoes, I can't imagine what it's like my child going to another house. Like I said before, I would be sleeping at the door just to make sure Bambi was okay. (laughs) And so I have often thought as well, especially in the younger years, he's 16 now, like in the younger years, like how hard that must have been for her too. Oh yeah. Even though she decided to leave the relationship, even though that was the situation, it must be still really hard to have her son 
go and not be with her. And so I felt into that a few times too. And then I would soften. That would help me soften. Beautiful. And I think one of the biggest things is there's no perfect way. There's no perfect step parenting dynamic. There's no perfect children. Let's delete that word from our vocabulary. And all we can truly do is keep coming back into our heart, keep opening our heart, keep staying in our heart and in the moment. And when we are in that space, then we can navigate through anything that comes up. We can navigate through the tantrums or the uncomfortable conversations or dynamics. But when we're not in our heart, it's a lot more challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Beautifully said. I have another person who wrote in and said, no question. I just wanted to say that it would be great to normalize that step parenting is the hardest job in the world. (laughs) (laughs) It's big. It's definitely big and it's beautiful. It's big and it's beautiful and there's so much growth in it. There is so much growth and opportunity for expansion and evolution if you choose to see it that way. Talk to me about respectful boundaries with the kids, with the ex-partner, with your partner. Talk to me about how we set up these respectful boundaries and do we need them? Are they important? (laughs) Yes, 100%. I think for me, they're important. I find if I am triggered, I first will look at what is being activated, what's knocking at the door inside me so that I can work through or look at it and not react. I can really just take a moment to be with that part of me. And I often do. So, you know, it's an ongoing process. It's not like it's done and it's like a one-time thing. And so I oftentimes, my practice is to, if I'm triggered, look at that part of me. And if I can offer myself compassion and forgiveness and really get a deeper insight and use it, I'm often then not so upset with somebody else. I'm like, oh, this is a teacher showing me about this, helping me understand my boundaries, find my truth, speak it with love. And then, you know, when I do share with somebody, I don't bring that kind of energy often. Sometimes I will, but I'll just say that doesn't work for me. And I think the same thing happens with kids. It's like, thank you. And that doesn't work for me. And so it's like a collaboration. It's a conversation, even with the kids, the ex, you know, every relationship to say, one of the things we would ask the kids are like, what are your choices? What are you choosing? And I think that when we're clear on what's true for us, I think the way we share it is going to make a huge impact and a difference. I know I've had to set really clear boundaries. And actually, when I started doing that, I felt really heard and respected in the relationship with my husband's ex. And again, I keep bringing her up because it had been really easy with the kids. I think because I came in pretty young with them and it was just part of me and their dad, which I also felt a responsibility to model a really healthy, conscious relationship for them because their mom hasn't had a relationship yet. So she actually at one point shared like, this is important to me that you guys model that. And I felt really grateful for her to say that because it felt like it gave me more permission to to love on my husband and include the kids in that and really like supported by her in that way. And there's a lot of ways that she has shown up to be in support of. But I think the best example that I've ever heard around boundaries, and it's not necessarily for parenting, but I'm going to share it because I don't think we have a lot of good examples for what it looks like to truly be in our heart and set clear boundaries. 
So I was at a master's program and doing a lot of personal development work. And this woman who ran the university had a gentleman, one of the students, so triggered and came up to her and was just yelling. And normally you'd never would talk to a spiritual teacher like that or an elder. And he was so triggered and was taking it out on her. And she was just steadfast and in her heart and present with him. And she said, I hear the feedback. What do I do with your energy? And I was like, damn, what a model for staying in her center. Because if she went out of her heart, that would have been a depletion to her. That would have been a loss for her to remove her loving. And she still said, this part's helpful. Got the feedback. All this other drama, not necessary. And it was such a teaching for me to be like, oh, how do I embody that more in all my relationships to say, I hear the feedback. The rest is not needed. And sometimes, again, you can talk to that part, that vulnerability, that softness underneath. But I do find that communicating boundaries, not with the expectation that they need to honor them because I can choose to remove myself or you know, I'm not going to be a doormat. Things work for me or they don't. For me, and this may not be everyone's practice, but to continue to keep my heart open while I share what's true for me, what works for me or not. And that can be really triggering sometimes with kids when they know the exact thing to say to trigger you at different age stages. And I think that that is part of the initiation of any kind of parent where it's like, you know, you're being stretched in all these different kinds of ways and to come back to your center, come back to your heart. And then sometimes we're not going to, sometimes we're going to totally mess up and then forgive ourselves to be like, okay, I was completely caught up in my trigger and that's okay too. All of it's just a learning. And I think that's an important piece to model as a parent as well. Mm -hmm. And I think the more vulnerable and apologetic you are for when you stuff up is really important. Again, that's something that I wasn't modeled as a child. Everything was swept under the carpet. I never saw my mom cry. It was always like, pick your socks up and keep moving forward. My dad, if I was upset, he would say, oh, don't cry. Don't cry. It was very much like only one way. And that was to be happy and seen and not heard. And even when my mom's brother died, when I was 15, I remember her like wiping her tears away. And she's like, no, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. There was never any vulnerability. So, and again, when I first became a stepmom, I saw myself do that. I saw myself slip into that. And like I said, I didn't have any prep to become a parent. Before Bambi, I did so much reading and educated. I studied like I was doing a PhD for her. (laughs) But I met Nick and we got engaged after two weeks and then we were married five and a half months later. So there was no prep. There was no study. And so I unconsciously slipped into a lot of default And then I started unraveling all of that and then could step into the parenting role or or the truth of who I am and how I want to parent. And it's been beautiful to rewrite how I want to parent. And I've been doing that over the last almost nine years with Leo and then 14 months with Bambi, I've been able to really implement all of my learnings. But I feel like I'm a really great mom to Bambi. I feel like I'm a great mom. I'm so proud of how I show up. Not every second of every day. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I feel like I'm a really good mom. I'm a great mom. And I feel like I have tripped up in the step parenting role many, many, many times. I have said sorry many times. I have gone to bed feeling like I'm the most horrible person on this earth. I have cried many times. And 
I've also opened my heart to myself many times. That's beautiful. I've also said that it's okay that you slipped up there and you were vulnerable about it. And it feels because I wasn't modeled that from my parents, it felt very scary to say, hey, I'm sorry for speaking to you like that. Or I apologize for the way that I handled that. That wasn't nice. And I apologize for that. And that feel, well, that felt in the past incredibly scary and incredibly vulnerable and also incredibly freeing at the same time and healing at the same time. And this whole parenting gig, step parents or parents, there's no such thing as perfect. And I think as soon as you let go of striving for that, being the perfect mom or the perfect step parent or the perfect partner, whatever, the more you will be able to step into who you truly are and you'll free yourself. And I know for me, that's definitely the case. And every morning when Leo's here, I remind myself to just come back into my heart. If there's any moments where I'm triggered or whatever, just to come back into my heart. And like I said, I'm not perfect, but I'm here and I'm willing to do the work. That's everything. And sometimes I'm even as you're speaking, I'm remembering like there are times where my husband will parent them in a way that I wished I had been parented at that time. So I'll let his words reparent the part of me that needed that nourishment from that younger experience. Whoa. That's been really healing. Whoa. That's big. And now that even just you saying that, that was the same situation for me because Nick, I was so inspired when I first met him, the way that he parents. I didn't even know that there was a way. I didn't even know that that was humanly possible to be so present, loving, open, kind, conscious. I didn't know that wasn't modeled to me. And now that you say that, those parts, it was sometimes triggering because I thought, why didn't I get that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've been there. It's like, there's envy. Like, oh, I wish I had to have that. And then there's a settling into, can I receive it now? And it was so inspiring the way that he parented. And I love that. Yeah. Can I receive it now? But it was so inspiring the way that he parented. Hence why I got engaged after two weeks and married him five months later. and was like, <laughs> let's make babies. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> yes. Yes to conscious parents. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's such a big, beautiful thing. It really is. And there's so much room for healing and growth and evolution. And it's never ending. It's never ending. And since having Bambi, it's also really healed a lot of my relationship with my parents. A lot. I look at them completely differently. And I also look at my in-laws differently too. And so there's another whole layer of healing that happens. (laughs) So it's beautiful and it's big and it's powerful. Is there any other advice that you would have for soulful step parenting? My number one encouragement is to just continue doing our own work because we are the example for our children. And if they just need one person that deeply sees them, like really sees them deeply, it will keep a nourishment and an aliveness awake within them that will serve them for the rest of their life. That is my experience. Mm -hmm. All it takes is one person. 
I've read hundreds of parenting books and a lot of them say all it takes is one person to think that the sun shines from their backside no matter what and to have their back and to fully see them, hear them, hold them. It's one person. So can you be that person for your children? Can you be that person for your stepchildren or your nieces or your nephews or whoever? Because these littlies, they need us. They need us. They are powerful beings. The ones that are being born right now, whoa. I know. They are powerful. (laughs) And they need our love still. We all do. And so we can give it to them. We can see them, like fully see them, hold them and be that person that just fully believes in them and that will change their life. And be that for ourselves and to mirror that in our partnerships and to keep coming back to our own healing and embodiment of that truth. Mm, Beautiful. My darling, I want to shift gears and talk a little bit more about you now. I would love to hear what is your definition of success? And what do you attribute your success to? Mm. I love the Maya Angelou definition of success, loving what you do and loving how you do it. That just so spot on. And the other question was, what do I attribute my success to? I find personal development work, spiritual work, and also strategy and community. So if I were to have four things, and I usually design my programs or coach my coaches to have different elements to support them in success, which is, again, transformational work, strategy work, community, and taking personal responsibility. Mm, I love that. That's really beautiful. What is bringing you the most joy in your life right now? Mm, I love this conversation. I'm in love with you. (laughs) I feel so lit up. (laughs) I feel very present at the moment and just my love for your sisterhood. Oh, I adore you too. And for a little bit of backstory of how we connected, we connected online. One of the most amazing things about social media is you get to meet goddesses, like-minded goddesses. And that's how we first connected and we became friends online. And then we had a FaceTime and you were like, my husband's a producer. And I was like, my husband used to be a producer. You're like, my husband used to be in real estate. I'm like, my husband used to be in real estate. And there was so many connections. And every time we go to LA, we stay with you guys. And oh, I'm just so bursting to see you in person and hug you in person. But your love, your energy, it radiates out of every cell of your body. And you can feel that in all the work that you do, all the incredible work that you do and all the lives that you are supporting and serving. So I am so grateful to know you. Thank you, honey. Same. So good. What are you working on within yourself at the moment? I, my kind of personal development edge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Letting go of the misunderstanding that I, if it's going to be done well, I'm going to have to do it. (laughs) So learning to really receive. (laughs) And then one way that that plays out is with team and setting up structures in within the business to really, I care deeply about what I do and I care deeply about a level of excellence. And I've been the one that does a lot of it. And I'm leaning into my edge to remove any misunderstandings or healing work that There's not greater support by surrendering, by letting go and receiving. Mm, Beautiful. That's so beautiful. 
Let's pretend now that you have a magic wand and you could have put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. Mm. What book would you choose? Waking Up to Your Inherent Worth. Oh, I haven't read that. That's the one I'll write. Oh. <laughs> I haven't read it. <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm like, I want it. I want it. <laughs> Yeah, to me, especially at that age, it was looking outside for, am I good enough? Who am I? Where do I belong? And, you know, sometimes I think the greatest things that cause us challenges become our medicine, come what, what we are to, here to serve and share. So that book, but if one that is written, high school, I mean, I think I would have been ready in high school, but the book that has changed my life is A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, hands down grateful to have been initiated into his teachings. Yes. Beautiful. And you have studied with some of the most incredible teachers all around the world. Byron Katie, David Dita. Oh, you and Emilio. I love this work. Oh yeah. You are so committed and it's so beautiful. I learned so much from you as well. So thank you for going and doing all this work. It's like the goal that I never want to end. Continuing to get more free and to open my heart and to experience life in its fullest is the personal development, the spiritual journey is such a beautiful, like I can't imagine people that don't have the tools and the perspectives. I, I don't think I could do it any other way. Absolutely. Well, you kind of ignorance, it's another way to live, but once you know, you can't turn that off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Darling, talk us through your day, your rituals, your morning routine, Tell us what you do on a daily basis that really serves you. Talk us through a quote unquote typical day in your life from when you wake up to when you go to bed, <laughs> all of your little rituals and routines, because you're also very similar to us where you love your health. You love all your little biohacks. I would love to hear your day. Yes. So I feel like every few years I focus on a new area of my life that I've not explored. And actually in the last year and a half, maybe two years, it's been health, which hasn't been a huge priority for me. Although I've always been healthy, but now I feel like I'm really immersed in the biohacking. I like a morning ritual to be flexible. So I used to do a lot of heavy meditation, 18 silent retreats within like two years. Just that was a big part of my practice. Right now, I'm a big fan of doing inquiry work, like questioning my mind weekly. I'll do an hour with a partner because I know that I'll distract myself or not honor that commitment if I don't have a partner practice with me. So I question a belief a week at minimum. And in the mornings right now, I'm loving breath work. So I need something a little bit more active because I'm more busy in my business. So I just do 10 minutes of breath work. And I'm a big fan of the night routine because the quality of my sleep changes everything for the next day. I've been big into yoga, spinning, obviously at home workouts over the last few years, just given the state of the world and just discovering different teachers. So moving my body in some way. But at night, I have like this really dialed in night routine where I will have a, two humidifiers in my room. We tried some type of like cooling pad, but we just put a lot of AC on because you sleep deeper when it's cooler in the room. I've got eye mask. Usually we'll take a cortisol manager right now so that my body can really shut down and not be near the computer as close to two or three hours before bed. So my mind learns to turn off. And then I do a meditation, a yoga nidra meditation to fall asleep. And that often helps me actually get deeper quality rest and deeper sleep. I've tracked it. I'm big into the night routine. And 
just being with community and being outdoors as much as possible. But I've been in a busier phase of business. So I sometimes need to balance that with some of the regular routines. And some of these things are so part of my everyday. I don't even think of them as a, as a routine anymore. Mm, absolutely. It's just part of your life. Yeah. Mm, beautiful. And of course, a dark chocolate bar a day <laughs> keeps the doctor away. 88% like so happy. Mm, delicious. Life is so precious to not eat the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even a foodie, but chips and guac and dark chocolate. I just am a fan. I'm a big fan. Oh my gosh. Yes. Guacamole. Oh yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I have three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Hmm. Compassionate self-forgiveness. Yes. hundred percent. Always. Really being, choosing to be kind with ourselves regardless, especially as we're going to bed, just really flooding ourselves with compassion for any misunderstandings, any judgments we had during the day helps not only regulate your nervous system, but it'll help you just have a kinder, happier life. I think there was a study done that was like, between all the things you could do for self-help, which was being with friends, moving your body, all of the things, the number one thing that actually moved the needle was being kind to yourself. So really having a compassionate practice. It's productive. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I know, especially as a mama, it's very easy to get into bed and then go, oh, I did that wrong and I did that, or I'm such a bad mama, blah, blah, blah. But just to flood yourself with compassion. Notice that was a thought. There was just a thought. It has no truth in reality other than the made up mind. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. What is one thing that we can do today for more wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Ask yourself, what do I fear would happen if I were more wealthy? And this is a backdoor approach. So it's like, if I were to make X amount, I fear, and then get mindful and listen and write down what the fears are, because as you clear those fears, then you're not competing inside of yourself and you're really aligned and any strategy you create, you're much more empowered moving forward. You're not in your own way, energetically holding yourself back. Because a lot of the times we have this fear of, I want this consciously, I say I want it. And then I have a fear about it. So it's this push-pull. I want to grow my business, but I'm afraid to be seen. And so when we're no longer pushing, we're just in alignment and we move forward much easier. Mm, Absolutely. Or I want to earn this much, or I want to grow my business, or I want to do this, but I'm afraid that it's going to take me away from my children. That's right. Or it means more work. I'll emasculate my husband if I make that, or I'll hurt my body again if I play all in, as in playing all in means intensity versus consistency or courage. So really letting go of those misunderstandings so that you can find a way that feels aligned and true for you without this internal battle. Mm, Absolutely. And what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Notice that your heart is already open. Yes. And just align with It's only the ego heart that closes. (laughs) That larger heart is open to the contraction, right? And it's so innocent and there's space for that. Mm. How did you get into all of this work? Did you know as a child that you were going to be doing what you do now? I did. Wow. 
I think I was rare in the sense where I was 12 and I knew I wanted to live in the Redwoods and to be a healer. And I also wanted to live in New York City and do marketing and wear stilettos. (laughs) But those were two separate things. I call myself these split personalities with Phoebe and Monica from Friends. And I never thought that I couldn't have both. And so I just kept following the aliveness and the next most intelligent step. And it's really developed into having a modern day business and life, but living a deeper truth and supporting people and waking up and healing and using business as a path to do that or using their gifts and facilitation as a path to do that. I love that so much. So do you still wear the stilettos? I love the (laughs) stilettos. Yes. (laughs) It's been a little while. I also like bare feet. So yes, and. Yes. I love that, babe. This has been so beautiful. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom? What are you working on right now? What's really lighting you up? Just go for it, babe. Because I was sharing that I love being a stepmom and I found a way to pour my heart into a program and mother people and support people in mothering themselves. So I've been over the last few years really pouring into this coaching certification program that I've built and has gone for two years. We've had over 450 students go through it and just witnessing them do their own personal work. A lot of moms, actually, a lot of parents go through it and they feel like they are better parents. They're better business people. So they've done their own personal work and they really get confident in being able to facilitate and grow their business, start or scale it. And for me, that's been a real reward. Like this is the work that I came here to do. And I know that on a soul level. And I feel so grateful to know the quality of this experience and support people in living this work and embodying it and being a beneficial presence in the world as a result. Like there's this ripple effect to their clients, to their families. And that's felt most alivening for me and most true. And I get to witness this people really mothering or parenting or fathering themselves and being an example of that in the world. So that's what I've been working on. That's what I'm so grateful for. That's what I'm lit up by. Yeah, that's been the most, I think just really my soul's work, part of my contract and grateful that I've executed on it and never felt more spiritual support for anything that I've ever developed in my life. More ease coming through it. Some people are like, how do you have that much stamina? And it's like, no, it's alignment. There's energy that pours through me. So much light in answering the call, whatever our call is. Absolutely. Would it be beneficial for anyone or is it just for people who want to become coaches? No, there are people that do it for their own personal professional development. So if people want to feel confidence and they want clients, this is a big part of what they walk away with. It's split up in three ways. So they do their own integration, shadow work, somatic work, unconscious reprogramming. And then they learn how to facilitate. And that can be facilitation with a family, but helping somebody really, and it doesn't matter even if they're a coach in any niche, relationship, health, business, it really helps them feel confident. Because I used to be a psychotherapist, so they really get to the root of what's been holding their client back, but they have to live it themselves first. So they embody it and they're held in that container to do it. And then we use business and whether they, they're they a realtor, they want to sell art, whatever their thing is that they want to get out in the world. Primarily, I have coaches, healers, and therapists, but it really supports them in using business as a path to get more free, to really do it in a way that's aligned for them. So we primarily have therapists, healers, and coaches, but there's quite a few people that do it for their own personal enhancement to make them it's like time for them, time to really learn how to up level. Because as a therapist, I was like, why don't most people know this work? 
And this was my love letter back to all of the tools that I've learned and all of the practices I've experienced over the last almost 20 years and put it into a methodology that's really digestible and grounded and embodied for people to live. And it's been everything to me. Beautiful. How long is the course and what is the title? It's the Institute for Coaching Mastery. It's a year-long program and we start in January, the uh, end of January, and we open doors once a year. And yeah, it's so good. It's so good. It is so good. I've had a bit of a sneak peek behind what you offer and anyone who is getting coached by you is going to skyrocket their growth, their evolution. So if you are thinking about becoming a coach, this is an incredible course to do. You are guided by this beautiful goddess right here with us today and you go deep. And that's something that I love about you is you go really deep. You do a lot of the somatic work. You do a lot of reprogramming. It's really deep work. It's not just changing your mindset. It's not the surface level. So it's like if people learned, and it doesn't matter the industry. So if they learned macros and health coaching, it's like, well, that's beautiful and it's complimentary, but why do they not show up to go to the gym? Why are they resisting? How come they're not creating change, right? So helping people make it easier by changing from the inside out. And so I have newbies, people that are just playing with the profession. And then I have other people who are already therapists, already seasoned coaches, and they want to up their game so that they can back higher ticket with value. So they feel really confident in this work. So it's been designed and we've had so many people go through it. The words really dialed in and they get to live it, not just know it, not just feel it, but really live it. And we'll link to it in the show notes. And you can go and check it out and use my link. You get a special bonus with it. So go and check that out. And before we go, I just want to thank you so much for not only being my beautiful friend, but just being you. You are such the embodiment of the work. You walk your talk. You truly do. You are constantly showing up for yourself, for others. You are such a big hearted, beautiful person, so loving, so generous, so kind. You inspire me so much. Nick and I always talk about you and Emilio and how you're just such a beautiful example of a conscious couple doing the work. You both have your own purpose and mission in life and you come together and you also create one together. And you're just, yeah, such a beautiful example of that. So thank you. You are helping so many people. You are serving so many people. What can I and the listeners do to give back and serve you today? I feel like you living your path and your truth has already served me before I even met you. So I just want to acknowledge who you are and how you live so openly and transparently and how that is of service to other people. It was of service to me before I knew you and I reached out and I was like, I am in love with you. We need to be friends. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but that's essentially how this started. And so to me, I think the greatest way any of us can give back to each other is to live the work, to really do the work so that we can have open hearts and minds and meet each other deeply in the moment through that. And we also serve each other by being teachers and triggers and using all of it. So I just want to say thank you for your sisterhood. Thank you for the work that you do. And I love you so much. And I'm so grateful for you and our family and our collective celebration of the kids. And cannot wait to meet Bambi. Oh my goodness, babe. You are just going to melt. Oh, she's so delicious. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being you. I am just so grateful to have you in my life. I love you. 
דוד יאיר. I feel so inspired to up my soulful step parenting game. And I hope you do too, whether you're a step parent, a bonus parent, as I like to call it, or a parent. I'm sure you got so much out of this conversation. And if you did, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. It also means that all of my episodes will pop up in your feed. Now, please come and connect with me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me what you got from this episode. Whether you are a bonus parent or a parent, please come and share with me. I love hearing and connecting with you. And before I go, I wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. By you even just being here, tells me that you want to be a better parent, a better step parent. And for that, I bow down to you. You're amazing. Now, if there is someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy. Healthy is liberating and wealthy isn't a dirty word.